Chapter 13 Seven and Nine Years Among the Comanches and Apaches An Autobiography by Edwin Eastman This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Mrs. Eastman's Story Continued Years have dragged their slow length along. Once again, I am surrounded by friends, and a husband's love shields me from the persecutions of a cruel captivity. Yet, scenes and incidents of that terrible time recur to my memory with a vividness only too real. The capture, torture, and fatiguing marches have left their imprint on my memory in ineffaceable characters. These were, however, but the overture to the drama. My intense sufferings commenced and were comprised in the nine years of my life among the Apaches. I had passed a restless night. My couch was haunted by dreams of ill omen and it was with a sigh of relief that I saw the morning's rays peeping through the crevices of our lodge of skins. I was enabled to look upon my surroundings and take stock of my future home. The lodge was circular in form, measuring a circumference of about fifty feet at the base, narrowing as it extended upwards until a space of about six feet was left open at the top. The framework consisted of poles driven firmly into the ground and held in position by a covering of dressed buffalo skins. The floor in the center of the lodge was depressed sufficiently to form a fireplace in which a few glowing embers could yet be seen. Ranged around the walls were the beds seven in number, which were occupied by the chief and his six wives. I, of course, was included in the number. Some of the beds were tastefully draped with curtains of dress skins, ornamented in various styles. The bed of the chief was perhaps the most gorgeous. On it could be seen the labor of five jealous women each more anxious than the other to propitiate her lord by some extravagance of decoration, which would deflect the sunshine of his favor on her head to the envy and exclusion of the remaining members of the family. Suspended from stakes driven into the ground near the head of his couch rested the implements of warfare. Lance, shield, bow and quiver, together with the deadly tomahawk and murderous scalping knife. Extended along a line that bisected the wigwam, at a distance of perhaps twelve feet from the floor, were the scalps of his enemies. Judging from the great quantity of these ghastly trophies, my master was a man of immense valor and shocking brutality. Soon, there was a movement. The curtains of one of the beds parted, 
and the head shoulders and body of a tawny savage appeared leaving the lodge for a short time she again returned with an armful of brush which she threw upon the fire then falling upon her knees she blew the smouldering embers into a bright flame the noise of the crackling wood aroused the others and soon all the women were engaged in their household duties one busied herself in preparing the morning meal another was collecting into one pile a number of queer-looking instruments with whose use i was to become acquainted only too soon still another was devoting her attention to a young babe thus all were occupied i was not long allowed to remain in undisturbed possession of my quarters the woman in charge of the cauldron placed over the fire called for assistance all were too busy to lend her aid and one suggested that i should be aroused this remark was received with general approbation and soon i was on the floor lifting kettles fetching fresh fuel and in fact doing the bidding of my task makers as best i might this was the commencement of a life of unceasing toil i was the pariah of our little community having no rights that compelled respect and being looked upon with feelings of suspicion and distrust by the indian women i was driven to perform the menial tasks and endure the ill-treatment of those who were only too happy to visit on my unoffending and unresisting body the ill-treatment they had to endure from higher quarters breakfast being ready the chief was aroused and the family clustered around the fire attacking the contents of the kettle to have seen them eat one would have supposed that they had been strangers to food for a very long period food was not eaten it was devoured after having partaken of the cakes of maize and taseo the work of the day began mato chiga of course did nothing but smoke his kinek kinek and lounge about the lodge his favorite pastime was to lie at full length in front of the door and like any dog bask in the rays of the sun it was now the planting season and from morn till night we were in the field breaking the ground and sowing the grain the implements used were of a very rude character the hose being fashioned from the shoulder bone of the bison the earth was broken by these and all the cultivation that was required was performed with the aid of this article such was the great fertility of the soil that maize and squashes grew almost spontaneously when planted all through the day we were compelled to stoop and bend over the ground while the sun's rays becoming more and more intense made life intolerable 
did we lag but for a moment the ever vigilant eye of some adjacent indian would note the movement and swooping down on us would urge us to renewed exertion by word or blow my first day's experience in this species of farming was excruciating agony being unskilled in the use of a hoe i bruised myself severely for instead of breaking the soil i came down with full force on my own limbs and feet at such times a groan of agony would escape me which instead of eliciting sympathy would only excite laughter maimed and bleeding i toiled on and wishing oh so fervently that the next blow might be on my head instead of the inferior parts of my body towards evening my torture became unendurable and throwing my tired body on the ground i determined not to work longer let the consequences be what they may this conduct was so entirely unexpected that it took my captors by surprise and finding blows of no avail they desisted and left me to suffer alone i had to be carried home much to the disgust of those whose duty it was to bear the burden arriving at the lodge ointment was prepared from the juice expressed from the leaves of the pita plant and being applied to my bruised limbs soon allayed the inflammation and soreness a brief description of this remarkable plant may not be without interest to the reader what the zamias is to the east indian the pita plant is to the southern indian it is food medicine stimulant and clothing it is to be found in the greatest abundance along the great american desert near the base of the rocky mountains in places where it would seem impossible for living plants to thrive there may be found the lechuguila its stalk rising to the height of twenty feet and its thorny leaves branching out in clusters along its length its fiber is made into rope the sap expressed from its leaves when boiled to the consistency of honey is an admirable dressing for wounds causing light cuts to cicatrice almost immediately and even ugly gashes will yield to it in time the juice distilled produces the fiery mescal familiarly known among the trappers as pass whiskey it is made quite extensively at el paso hence the sobergay the egg-shaped core when cooked yields a thick transparent body similar to jelly it is very nutritious and is used to a great extent by one branch of the apaches who bake it with horse flesh this tribe is called by the frontiersmen muscaleros on this account without the aid of this plant there are seasons when the lipans apaches and comanches would perish from starvation 
Too much cannot be said in praise of this wild aloe. It is one of the many striking instances in which an all-wise providence has furnished man with a medicine and food combined. The laboratory of nature is full of similar plants whose uses are as yet imperfectly known and have perhaps never been applied to the relief of the suffering. During my sojourn among the Indians, I became familiar with the names and uses of many of these roots and plants, which I believe were never before known to civilized man. Several months had elapsed, the corn was planted and had nearly ripened. As I became hardened by exposure and toil, my lot seemed somewhat softened. I say seemed mitigated. The work was nonetheless arduous. Only my capacity to bear toil had been strengthened. One day, Ines Ken, the crystal stone, intimated that I was to be branded. This intelligence filled me with terror. I had never seen anyone marked in this manner, and I presumed the process was a painful one. After having finished the morning's work, I had retired into the lodge in order to complete some garments I was making for Eneskin's little boy, when a messenger arrived, announcing that the medicine man wished to see me, and bade me follow him. Arriving at the lodge in the center of the village, I joined a throng of captives, who, like myself, had been summoned to appear and receive the mark of bondage. Presently the crowd gave way, and the hush that was echoed from mouth to mouth warned us of the approach of Pa Niskasupa, the two crows the high priest and great medicine of the nation. We were required to form a ring, leaving a space of some thirty feet in diameter. Silence reigned supreme. Nothing was heard save the light tinkling of the rattles upon his dress, as he cautiously and slowly moved through the avenue left for him. He neared us with a slow and tilting step, his body and head entirely covered with the skin of a yellow bear, the head of which served as a mask to his own, which was inside of it. The huge bear's claws were dangling on his wrists and ankles. In one hand he shook a frightful rattle, with the other he brandished his medicine spear to the rattling din of which he added the wild and startling yells and jump of the Indian, and the appalling grunts and snarls of the grizzly bear. After prancing around us for a short time, he built a small fire, and threw into it some bits of bluish clay, which turned black when subjected to the fierce heat. These were then pounded into a fine powder, Taking a sharp pointed stick, he pricked our chins in semicircles with the point of this stick dipped in a lotion of the powdered clay and a blackish gum, which he poured from the stone vial. The sensation 
was as if one was sticking needles into your face. Soon after the operation was performed, the skin began to burn and the punctured portion inflame. It then became very painful, but and an application of the never-failing aloe soothed the inflammation. This was the ceremony of branding, and I carry the scar and will continue to wear it to my latest hours. Returning to the lodge, I was greeted with jeers and a derisive laughter by the women of my household. The dogs joined in the uproar, barking, perhaps, because others pointed the finger of scorn at me and to be in sympathy with their masters. Even the filthy little children raised their tiny voices, accompanying their laughter with volleys of stones and sticks thus. Catching at little bits of fun and glee that's played on dogs enslaved by dogs that's free. End of chapter 13 I was not allowed, I was not long allowed to remain in undisturbed possession.